This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. You can get it, of course, at BetRivers.com and at Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all those uh, wonderful podcast destinations. Um, baseball is the topic today with former Met manager Terry Collins, and he'll join us right after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome to the Mike Francesa podcast. And I welcome in a guy that I interviewed uh, probably a couple of thousand times. Uh, one of my favorites, a guy who, you know, when I first heard about him, people said, oh, you know, had trouble getting along with players. Players don't like him. I never got a worse scouting report in my life on a guy than Terry Collins. I've said this a bunch of times. I said it on a podcast I did with Jay Horowitz about a month ago. I said, you know what? People were so wrong. This was the nicest guy, the most accessible, friendly, honest guy. Players loved him. Media loved him. I thought Terry Collins was was absolutely great when he was here. And he's been wonderful to deal with through the years. And he, uh, it's nice to talk to him again. Terry, welcome. How are you? Good, Mike. Good to have. I'm glad that you're back on the air. Yeah, thank you. And 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 you know what? I I really enjoyed the time with you. I thought you did a great job, and I I thought uh, it was uh, really interesting times when you were running that ball club. And you know, people look back; they should and think of it very fondly because you did a great job taking that team to uh, terrific heights, back to back years. Really did some great things with that team. Well, thanks, Mike. You know we. You know, you get lucky in the right in, at certain times in your, your life or your career. And, you know, I got very fortunate when Sandy hired me. And, you know, I came into a pretty good situation. We had some pretty good players um, on that on my first year there. And, and Sandy did a great job going out and acquiring some other guys that obviously made a huge difference as we went down the road and towards 2015 and 16. Let's be honest. You were a big reason why they got Cespedes. You, you, you didn't, they didn't want Cespedes. Sandy was afraid of Cespedes, and if I remember right, it was you talking to Jimmy Leland that got them to finally give him a chance to come here, and I know he wasn't always probably the easiest guy to deal with, but boy, did he carry the team on his back when he was going good. Absolutely, Mike, and you know, that's exactly what happened. You know, Jim called me the afternoon of the trade deadline, and told me that, you know, he was still with the Tigers at the time. And he said, hey, we're going to trade you on a Cespedes today. And Jim said, I don't care what you hear, get him. And and I told Sandy about the conversation, and he went out and got him. And you're absolutely right. If it wasn't for you on a Cespedes, I'm not sure we'd have made the run we made. Few guys I've ever seen in New York carry a team more than he did when he was – he really – I mean, I saw Piazza carry the team. We've seen some great guys play in New York. But when he was on top of his game, he was some player. 
Mike, I, I'm like, I, you know what? I still play golf with Yoannis today. I, you know, I live in Fort St. Louis and, and so does Yoannis. And so we play golf and I, and I've asked him one day, I said, you know, who do you think the best player in the game is? And he said, probably Mike Trout. I said, well, let's compare yourself to Mike Trout. There's not one thing Mike Trout does more better than you, except plays every day. <laughs> That's <laughs> that exactly was, right. Yeah. I mean, tool for tool, there was no comparison. And, you know, and, and he showed that. And I thought, you know, one of the things I thought Sandy did, you know, he, he kept him on those one-year deals for a couple of years and, you know, forced him to put up great numbers. And he did that. You know, um, negative thing before we talk about these clubs today negative thing and and i know this is tough for you because you dealt with them and did a lot of things behind the scenes to try and help them you did the ball club did but i guess none of us realized what was really going on with matt harvey and it's sad to see you know he had the world of talent and it just shows you he had some unlucky injuries we know that but boy, it just shows you that talent isn't enough. Sometimes you need luck and you need discipline and you need dedication. It takes a lot to become a superstar. There's a kid who had the world on a string and had so much talent and look how his life has crumbled now. Yeah, Mike, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I will tell you, there's one place where you, you cannot think you're bigger than New York city. You can't do it. I don't care how hard you try you know what, the greatest players that have ever played in New York, uh, a few of them, you know, they were able to outlive the city, but you cannot try to be, you know, a big person in New York City. You just got to go out and, and play your game, be who you are, and and, and the, the town will carry on your shoulders. And, you know, and, and Matt, he just wanted to be the biggest guy in New York and, you know, and end up taking him down. Because I will tell you, in 2013, he was, I thought, the best pitcher in baseball. He, I mean, here's a guy who had, I mean, really electric stuff. I mean, he really, he was on, when he was at the top of his game, he was unbelievable. Well, uh, you know, at the all-star game in New York in 2013, you know, Carlos Beltran and I are very, very good friends. And uh, I asked Carlos at the all-star game, I said, who's the, who's the best guy you've ever faced? And he said, the guy starting tonight for the national league, Matt Harvey. I said, you're kidding. Wow. And all in your entire career, he said, Terry, you don't know what's coming. And when it comes, it's better than anybody else's. He's, you know, he throws 97. He's got a 93-mile-an-hour slider, and he's got a great changeup. And he'll throw it in any count. He said he's the toughest guy I've ever had to face. Unbelievable. It just shows you how, how, how much talent we're dealing with and what could have been. You know, we look at Gooden's career. At least he hit heights that and had a lot of memorable moments, a lot of big seasons. He had a career. Harvey, we're going to look back and say, where'd the career go? I mean, it just fell apart. It, it really did. You know, I, I will tell you, you know, the, 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 everybody, you know, not everybody, but most of the guys get through the Tommy John, which Matt did. But that uh, outlet syndrome that he had, uh, that really hurt him because, they, you know, his shoulder just never came back to the strength that he once had. And, and I thought that really affected him late. And, you know, he still wanted to be, he still wanted to try to be the best, and he, had, he, he fought the changes he was going to have to make and, and the kind of pitcher he was going to be. Unbelievable. We're talking with Terry Collins. Terry, how about Lindor right now? Second season, and we've seen guys come to the Mets before in other eras, and for some reason, great middle infielders not, not do well here. Alomar, who was a great player. Carlos Baega, who used to kill the Yankees. I mean, I used to watch him just destroy the Yankees. 
never played well here. Even Juan Samuel in the Dykstra trade had 400 total bases and came here and never played well. So we've seen this before. Now we're into the second season. Lindros' numbers are worse than they were last year. Now here in late May, you know, you start to wonder about whether a guy's with a big contract with a lot to prove is going to be able to handle New York. Some guys never do. Now we're into the second season here, and he's struggling again. Yeah, you know, Mike, and, and again, I don't – I was there and I saw – I mean, I, I witnessed Jason Bays, you know, how he struggled in New York. But I, I will tell you, you know, you can't hide, no matter what anybody tells you, you cannot hide from the media and, and, and what goes – what's being said about you. You know, players say, oh, I don't read that. Well, you know what, you're still going to hear it. I'm sorry. That's – you know, you got – you know, let's – really speak to you, you know, what's going on and, and you try to live up to it. And instead of just going and being who you are, you know what? Lindor is a great player. He should just go do what he does. You know, that's where I thought Jeff McNeil this year has gone back. Hey, look, I'm a singles hitter. I'm going to be a singles hitter, you know? And I think uh, Francisco is trying to live up to the contract. He caught it. They brought him in last year and all of a sudden he was going to be the main guy in the clubhouse. And, you know, he didn't have to do that in Cleveland. They had other guys, and he just went out and played. And he, for me, he's got to do the same thing in New York. But it's hard because every day it's he's hit in the face with, "Hey, you, you're the you're the clubhouse. You're the main guy. You're the star of the play. You're the star player now. You've got to carry this team. Hey, you you're one piece of a good team. This is a good team. So just do what you do best, and, and you know, pass the baton to somebody else at times. We're talking with Terry Collins, of course, who did a great job with the Mets. Terry. Scherz is a perfect example of a guy who understands who he is. Now, he's already had a great career. We know that. But he's not trying to prove anything here. You can see that. He's just being himself. He brings who he is here. He's going to act the same way. You know, he likes to compete. He wants to play. Now, he left last night maybe with an injury. We don't know. He took himself out of the game. He said he felt a twinge, so he left. Uh, he didn't stay in the game. He said he didn't want to take any chances. But what you've seen from Scherzer is what you expect. He's himself. Yeah, he is himself, Mike. And I will tell you, you know, when, when he was in Washington, Dusty Baker was the manager. And Dusty and I have a big background together from all our years with the Dodgers. And he came to me one day. He said, do you know Max Scherzer? And I said, no. He said, Terry, you need a guy like Max Scherzer. He is the old-time guy you want on the team. He said, he's the guy today who's, who still runs as a pitcher. He runs and run, keeps himself in shape like the guys who used to throw 350 innings. He said he does all of the little things that you want to, in you know, guys like you and I want a pitcher to do. He said he's old school. He shows up. He doesn't want to come out of a game. He doesn't care how many pitches he's thrown. He's he's his whole goal is to com complete the game himself. And you know what? That spreads that kind of attitude, Mike. It it, it goes through the clubhouse because those kind of guys they're not afraid to say something to somebody else. Matt Scherzer is not afraid to go up to Tyler McGill and say, hey, look, you know, you got to finish this inning. you you got to be able to go out and finish that inning. And, you know, and those and that's what he brings to the team. And all they have to do is sit back and watch him pitch. You know what? That's who I want to be. I want to follow that guy. And, and if they do, I mean, they've got, a, they've got a successful career ahead of them. You hit it on the head. You can even see him in the dugout talking to other pitchers when he's not pitching. You can see, you've seen that know, already. And, believe me. Uh, and, and he's you not, can see and he doesn't how – you can yep. see how he rubs off. And the other thing is, here's a guy who competes like crazy, but also is not afraid to throw any pitch, any count, any hitter. He doesn't care. And he does not. I said it last week on another show. I said, you know, 
the thing that makes him great is that he's not afraid to walk you. He's going to make his pitch, and if you want, you know, and what he does, obviously, he's so good. Hitters will realize that he's going to be around the plate. They got to be ready to swing, and that's why there's so many guys that chase with him when he's on, chase pitches when he's on the mound. But he's not afraid to walk you. He's going to make his pitch to be watching. It's the next guy, and it's the same attitude that Greg Maddox had for so long. You know what? And he was always around the plate. And you know what? If you watch it, he just saw get the next guy. And that's that's what Max Scherzer does. And I just think if you can, if you're a young pitcher today, and you can grasp the idea of, hey, look, I'm just going to make pitches. I'm just going to make pitches. I'm not giving in. I'm never going to give in. And, and if you, and when you got quality stuff like Max and a lot of those guys do, you're going to be successful. I'm Mike Francesa talking with former Met manager Terry Collins. Terry, what about Degrom? Uh, you know him very well. You know what he is. We all know how tough he is. We all know that. And people say he's not tough. That's nonsense. We know what kind of competitor he is. We know what kind of athlete he is. But how concerned are you with where he is right now? Do you feel comfortable he's going to have a season? Do you worry that he's going to have a season? I know it's from a distance, but what you know DeGrom as well as anybody. What do you think about DeGrom right now? Well, Mike, I'm very concerned about it. First of all, he is as every bit of competitors, Max Scherzer. And, and you know what? And when he re- changed the w- way he had to pitch, I mean, you know, we all knew he had a good fastball. Did we know that he had 101? No, we didn't. But you know what? That's where the game, this game's dictated. Hey, look, we, you know, we're going to pitch high in the zone. We're going to be a four-seam fastball kind of guy. And Jake said, okay, fine. And, and he became the pitcher. Now, I think that's wear and tear has beat him up a little bit. But So I, I'm very concerned that right now I think, Obviously, I, I don't know what the healing process is on, on the kind of injuries he's had, but I know one thing, Jake's going to try to come back, and when he comes back, I just hope he said, hey, look, I'm, I can, I've got great enough, good enough command. i got tremendous mechanics in my delivery. I can make pitches. I don't have to throw every pitch 100 miles an hour because I still think he's got a long career ahead of him if he can get it again. You know, do you think, and I don't know this, but do you think the fact, and I think it helps him in terms of his overall performance, Great fielder. He was a guy who wasn't a pitcher. Uh, good hitter. We know that. We've seen him sometimes be the guy who gets the hits for the Mets. Uh, we've seen him do that, too. Do you think it, the nagging injuries and all the little things that seem to sideline him, do you think some of it has to do with the fact that he wasn't a pitcher all his life and he was a, a regular baseball player? Well, I, I, Mike, you know what? I almost think it's, you know, those kind of guys who didn't pitch all the time, I think they had a lot of life in their arms. And I think that's why Jake, you know, for so long could, you know, reinvent himself as a pitcher as far as his velocity goes. But right now I'm just, I'm just worried about, you know, the, the condition of his body, of his arm and to throw that hard. I mean, the strain on his arm has got to be really something. And because he's not a big go in the weight room guy, which I thought was great because you know what, I didn't think he had to bulk up to throw hard, but uh, I just know that that kind of velocity over an extended period of time, and he was a guy, as you know, Mike, this guy was out there eight, nine innings a lot. I mean, to where, you know, he was he was at the 120 pitch mark a lot in those games. And I'm just wondering, because he was never conditioned to go that far, if that's been the, the wear and tear that's caused some of these injuries. You know, I, I, I it's hard to believe how good he got. He got to a level last year and I don't put anybody on the level with your buddy Sandy Koufax I saw I saw Koufax pitch as a kid and I've always said this no matter who you're talking about Pedro Martinez in his prime Randy Johnson in his prime Roger Clemens in his prime even Tom Seaver in his prime 
none of them were as dominant as the Sandy Koufax from 1961 to 66. Never saw anybody as good as him ever who he was overpoweringly dominant in almost, and he was there every game, and it was almost a rarity if somebody scored off him. But DeGrom almost got to a level that was like that last year. And, and you know, Mike, you bring up a great point. You know, when Sandy pitched, obviously, you know, the salaries weren't even close to what they were today. I mean, Sandy tells me a story about how one year, and I think it was 63, where he was making $7,000 a year. And if you won the World Series, you got 13000 And so the whole goal was to double your salary to go to the World Series. And, and so, you know, the, the pressure on those guys back then, you know, to go to win was so huge. And I think, you know, in the case of Jake, because the, they weren't scoring runs for him, he had to work so hard to keep the other team, you know, not scoring runs. Again, you're talking about, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past about, you know, those, those guys that have, have to pitch those tough innings. Uh, you know, you really got to bear down to get through a tough inning. Well, Right. So you look at all the starts Jake had. He won a Cy Young, only won ten games because he had to, the other. He couldn't let the other team score if he was going to have any chance of winning. And I think that is that workload alone took it took wear and tear on him. No, que- no question about it. Um, overall, the team, you know, it's gotten great starting pitching. It hasn't gotten a lot of offense, you know, this year. It hasn't gotten anything out of Escobar. It hasn't gotten anything out of the catcher's spot. Um, the two best hitters other than Alonzo's gotten his RBIs. The two guys who have been consistent have been Nimmo, who's a better player than I ever thought he was. I got to admit, I didn't like Nimmo. I didn't think Nimmo was an everyday player. I was wrong. He's a better player than I ever thought he was. I got to admit that. And McNeil, they've been the really only consistent hitters in the lineup this year. I agree. You know what? And I totally agree with what you said, Brandon Nimmo. You know, when I saw Brandon Nimmo was young, you know, people said, boy, this guy's really going to be a good hitter. And I, you know, he had laps. He didn't have lapses, but he had really had to work hard to get better defensively. He was kind of a line drive hitter. And then people thought, geez, he's going to, you know, he's got to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And I never saw that he was going to be able to do that. But I'll tell you what he's always been able to do. And that is work the count, get on base, you know, and, and create things. He, and he's become a very good player. And, and, Jeff McNeil, and I'm so happy. I don't know who got Yeah, he looks like McNeil. Last year, I think McNeil had trouble with Lindor. Let's be honest, he did. And he did. He tried to become a home run hitter. Now he's back to being the McNeil of two years ago. I agree. I, and I think that's, you know what, and, and I've had this battle with a lot of people. You know, players are who they are. And, and you know what, the minute they try to be somebody different, you're gonna, they're, they're going to look for failure. And that's what happened with the Jeff last year because he's always hit. And so now he's back doing what he can do. But you know what? I thought what they did this winter by getting some depth on the bench, by going out and getting some, you know, quality backup players to where they could give these guys some time off. Now, you know, again, they got off to a great start, and I think they have raised their expectation level so high that now they are, again, they're expecting a lot out of themselves instead of just going and do what they can do, Mike. I mean, you see it all the time, guys over swinging. And, hey, look, you know, one of the things I always thought, that's why I always thought Robinson Cole was going to hit because I watched him in spring training. You know what? They put the shift on, and he'd get two strikes, and he'd just hit a base hit to left field. I think when the season starts, you know, your 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 philosophy changes a little bit, and you think you got to do more damage when you don't have to. You know what? One of the things the Mets have done, they get guys on base. 
And now, hey, look, somebody's got to hit a sacrifice fly or somebody's got to. There's nothing wrong with two out singles. I saw last year I came into New York for a series and watched the St. Louis Cardinals late in the season beat the Mets up by getting base hit after base hit against the shift and scoring runs and, you know, a lot of runs. And I'm just thinking, you know, if, if they're so they have a good enough team and good enough to pitching, if they can score and add, add on some runs during the game, they're going to be a legitimate pennant contender. You know, I've I've never Terry been a big Diaz guy. Uh, his first year was such a big flop, and he's always, it seems to me, in the big inning, held the ball a little tight. And he's dominant, and he'll strike out the side in a nothing game. But he hasn't been great in the big game, and and let him pitch in some big playoff games, and we'll see how he does. But I gotta admit, he 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 does bring electrifying stuff to the to the to the mound when he goes out there. He does, and you know what, Mike? It'll be fun to watch him, or it'll be interesting, certainly, to watch him as they get into late into the season to where all of a sudden those games in September, they're big. One of them's big. Uh, you know, and I, I know wins in April are important. Wins in May are important. I understand it. But those wins come August and September are huge, and the pressure is big. So here he is. He's, having a, he's off to a great start this year. It'll be really interesting to see if he can maintain it throughout the season. How about the Yankees thought? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> they were seven and six. They haven't lost since. They've actually lost four games since the middle of April. Well, I will tell you, I, when John Carlos Stanton started to swing the bat and Judge started to swing the bat, that just changes your whole lineup. Just takes the pressure off everybody else in the lineup. Your two star players are going to carry us. And I used to say, you know, for years, Mike, I said, every team star player has to play good. You, you, you don't have a guy that can pick up the load for a star, and your two, their two star players are just, I mean, they're just killing Cortez. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, it, what a start it, he's had. You know, you talk about a guy like Cortez. Now, he's not an overpowering type, but I compare his ascension out of nowhere the way Gidry came out of nowhere. Gidry came out of nowhere and became a star. He came out. He was a guy the Yankees were going to get rid of. He came out of the bullpen, gave up two homers to the Red Sox one night in relief, and George wanted to get rid of him, sent him to the minors. You know what? He learned Sparky Lyle's slider, and he became a superstar. Now, this guy doesn't throw hard, but, the, I mean, he not only has been unhittable, he goes – he pitches eight innings without even an effort. The guy pitches deep in the game every time. It gets to the point where you say, hey, what you're looking at is real. I mean, he's there every game now. This guy's pitching like one of the best pitchers in baseball. It's, uh, you know, and Mike, again, it goes back. He locates everything he does. Every pitch he throws, it has a purpose. You know what? And I'm sure in his mindset, he's going to say, you know what, if I miss here, I'm going to miss off the plate because in my next pitch, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to make another pitch. I mean, that's what the great ones did for so many years. You know, before everybody threw 100, those guys, they just chewed you up with command. You never know where the ball was going to be. You know, they were always around the corners of the plate, and so they were tough to hit. And I, I've watched this guy pitch two times now, and I just shake my head. You know, he's one of those guys when the game's over, you walk up and say, God, I was 0 for 4 and didn't even take a good swing. Yeah, you know, a comfortable collar, a comfortable collar, like like Catfish Hunter. Catfish Hunter was like that, you know. I know one of the things the Yankees have always done, they do such a great job in scouting. They find those guys. They develop pitches. They've done a great great job taking guys from other teams and turning them into very useful pitchers, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. 
you got guys who've come out of nowhere for them and really not guys that cost them a lot or anything else. And they have done a very, you're right. They've done a very good job. And some teams are like that. You know, Dave Duncan used to do that. He used to develop guys all the time. I mean, the Yankees have done a very good job of developing guys into really Tampa does that too. They develop these guys into really good pitchers. They really do. And you know, Mike, is we how many times have you heard during in early in the season or in spring training, you never can have enough pitching. Well, you know what? If you develop pitching, you'll always have pitching. You know, you can't. You know, every time somebody has a bad day, you're reading a paper about a team, they got to go find somebody. Well, you know what? You got to develop your own pitching once in a while. You got to be able to reach down in the minor leagues and pull a guy up like the Mets did last year with McGill. Pull him up, and you know, he, now he's one of their best pitchers, even though he's hurt right now. But he became one of their best pitchers last year. But you've got you've got to be able to develop your own pitching. And the Yankees, Tampa Bay, uh, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at what the Giants have done now. You Amazing know, what the pitch. Giants have done. Giants have revolutionized baseball the way they're playing. They got a bunch of no name guys. They got a million coaches. They give them a lot of instruction and a lot of care. And all of a sudden, these guys produce. Yep. And there's, you know, Mike, and you're right about the coaches. You know, there's it, coaching's hard, you know, and especially at the big league level, because, you know, the, you, you get guys who, you know, their egos get in the way, but they have done a great job of saying, hey, look, we're going to play the game right here. We're going to do we're going to do the little things right. And you know what? They they beat you by fundamental baseball. But Terry, how about that? You're a, we're talking with Terry Collins. You're a baseball lifer, and you come up out of the Dodger organization, and instruction was always huge. They taught everybody the same way about the Dodgers, even more than the Yankees. That they, they did everything by the book, the Dodger way, blah blah blah, all the way down the line. Everybody taught the same way, so we know that went on. But how about these guys now? You talk about what they're doing with San Francisco because kids come to the majors now; they're not playing three and four years if they're good of minor league baseball. They're coming to the majors at very young ages because of the, the financial situations, especially the real talented ones. They got to get, they have to learn a game on the major league level. That's tough to do, right? I mean, it's tough to instruct right. them and they're making money and they're, they, they, they already think they're stars and they're young, but they have to learn the game. Right. Mike, I, I will tell you that I'll give you the perfect example of what, what, you know, so this this past spring, I only went I only went out and watched them a couple of days in spring training. I tried to stay in the background if I could. I went out one day, and Buck had taken over the entire complex because it was fundamental day, and they stressed cutoffs and relays. And you know what? I'm telling you, no disrespect to the other guys, I didn't see that in the, in the last couple of years. I haven't seen that. And yet here they are. Here's a, here's, and you got experienced big league players. You got Marte and, you know, uh, Canna and, I mean, the experienced infielders. They went out and worked on cutoffs and relays for, because of exactly what you said. Hey, sometimes, you know, those little things win you games. And how many times have we seen a play, somebody may, hit a cutoff, man, and they threw somebody out of the base, and it goes unnoticed. Because, but today it's, it's you don't see it. Last year, I can't tell you how many times I saw Michael Conforto overthrow cutoff men. And you know, it's you've got to make it important. And Buck makes it important. He makes fundamental baseball important. We've talked. I see. I watch the TV, and they're talking about now about how guys, you know, they bust it down the first baseline. Well, my gosh, for a hundred years, that was what was expected. You know, you didn't have to hit because that's how that's how you were taught. And I think that's what the 
you know, the impact Buck has made is, hey, we're going to go back and play baseball the way we're supposed to. I totally agree. Plus, I'll tell you, I've noticed that in baseball this year, Terry. First of all, home runs. Now, you still got guys like Judge and who, who are hitting home runs, and Trout's got 11, and, uh, and Judge has 14. But home runs are down. You're seeing the hit and run again. You're seeing the stolen base again. You're seeing some stuff in baseball you hadn't seen in a couple of years. It seems like the game is moving a little bit more towards the old way baseball was played. Right, and I and I agree. And I know I, again, I don't know, Mike. I haven't been on the field. I don't know if the balls are how, how much would have changed. The balls have been made. Well, the guys are know. saying the balls aren't as as juiced this year. And I've seen Alonzo like shake his head three or four times on balls that he hit. So maybe the ball's a little deader. I, I I know some players are thinking that's the case, and maybe it is. But you're seeing guys play. You're seeing the stolen base this year. You hadn't seen that, and you're seeing hit and runs this year. I, I I've seen a bunch of hit and runs. I didn't think I saw one last year at all. I, I Mike, I'm going to tell you with with the way the sh- everybody's shifting now. Why would you hit and run? They're, you know, if you can hit the ball the other way, and by the way, every day, every day during the season, during batting practice, guys work on hitting the ball the other way. And now they're giving you a hit. They're just giving you a hit. And so why not hit and run? Because if you can't, you know, if you're totally hitting the ball in the ballpark, they're giving you spaces all over the field that these great hitters, these guys who can handle a bat, it's just, you're just adding, you're just going to, you know, move runners along. And that's the idea of hitting and running. So I've seen them more and more. I've seen Pete Alonzo. I, I will see hit about seven RBIs in singles to right field. Yep, a runner absolutely. Third base. Absolutely. And, and, those, and that's why I always thought Pete, because I saw him when he was in double A, and I said, if he takes this, you know, this approach to the big leagues with his power, he's going to be a dangerous hitter, and he's become a dangerous hitter. No, there's no question he's done that. And there's, and, and, and there's no question he's taken the ball effectively to the, to the opposite field this year a lot more. But clearly – it's been very windy for whatever reason, and the ball has, especially at City Field, Yankee Stadium, right field. Let's be honest: you hit a fly ball, it's going out of the ballpark. A, you know, and, and and you know, Woodward called it a little league park. Hey, Babe Ruth hit those balls. Mickey, you know, Roger Maris, Bobby Mercer made a living on those balls. Greg Nettles, I mean, it's been going on forever. It's not a secret. To call Yankee Stadium a Little League Park is ridiculous. I mean, we all know that they can. And then he has a guy win a game dunking one in the first row. I mean, dunked it in the first row. And, 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 you know, so the bottom line is we know that that's the case at Yankee Stadium. You're going to get some cheap home runs. But I noticed at City Field, and they were remarking it last night, Ball just is not going out of the ballpark. Well, that's always been a tough place to. Uh, Mike, I, you know, one of the things that Sandy and I used to talk about is that, you know, because I, we had, we, for, there was a while where we had trouble winning at home. And, and actually, Sandy said, What do you think we need? I said, Look, we've got to find guys that play in this park. This is a tough park to hit in. It, you know, and even though we've moved the fences in, yep. I mean, think about that park before they, they, they moved the dimensions in. Yep. It, you know, it, it, kills, it kills some guys. So you've got to change the way you play in, in City Field. But, you know, the wind, the early in the season now, when it starts to warm up, which it's going to start doing, well, now we'll see the difference in, in how the ball carries. But it's just, you know, there are those, you know, things that happen during a season that you can't explain, and you just got to adapt, change. And that's – everybody talks in spring training. It's always – you know, I used to talk about 30 teams that start spring training, they always say, hey, look, you got to make adjustments, maybe every at-bat at the plate. Well, if there's a night where the wind's blowing in, you got to make an adjustment. 
you know, to try to pull a ball in and hit it into the wind in a big ballpark and it's, you know, humid, maybe damp, you know, you're, all you're asking to do is hit a fly ball left field or hit a fly ball right field, so change your approach. And I think right now that's what we're seeing the good teams do. They're, they're changing the way, hey, look, as it warms up, they may revert back to trying to hit the ball in the ballpark, but right now you got to make adjustments. You know, you, you've also seen a lot of uh, the older pitchers really got off to fast thoughts. Verlander, we mentioned Scherzer, you know. Uh, Kershaw in his first four or five starts was, you know, off to a fast start. All these guys, you know, uh, have gotten off to very, very good starts. A lot, a lot of the veteran guys have gotten off to very good starts. You know, I, I, Mike, I think one of the things the, those veteran guys do, they know how to get ready. And so this spring, with the shortened spring training, I think those guys knew how to go about getting ready in a shortened spring training. Good point. The young guys, Very good point. You know, they're, they're, used to, they're used to six weeks getting ready. These guys say, hey, look, I've got – I mean, I watched Matt Scherzer, his first spring training game, throw 75 or 80 pitches in his first spring training game. You don't tell me he wasn't ready to do that when he started spring training because he knew at that particular point of spring training in the past he would be ready to throw 70 pitches. And I and I, I think those guys with that experience said, "Hey, look, I need to be ready going into spring training. I no longer can use spring training to get ready." If that makes any sense. How about Kershaw? Four and oh, one point eight ERA. Uh, now he's only thrown thirty innings this year, but his WHIP is zero point seven three. I mean, the guy's getting people out. <laughs> he gets people out. He's and I don't, with that I, big curveball. Like, that big curveball. Yeah, and he's and he's just the best person on earth. And you just root for those kind of guys. And, you know, what Justin Verlander is doing, coming off Tommy John at his age. Yep, amazing. And all the, bullets, all the bullets he's thrown in his life and still get off to the start he has. And, again, I just don't think you can trade anything for the experience that he's had, knowing how to get, how to get ready for a season. I'm telling you, I thought – listen, I thought Kershaw was done. I mean, he's had an incredible career. We know that. I mean, he's 100 games over 500, which is unbelievable. He's got a 280 ERA in his career in this era. His whip is almost under one for his career. I mean, the guy's legendary. I, I know the postseason has haunted him, and he got some vindication. Uh, but forget that for a second. That's a small sample. The guy's been unbelievable. But I thought he was done going into this year. I didn't think he had a lot left, and he's been unbelievable this year. He's been unbelievable. And, you know, Mike, I really thought – this might be the end also. I, you know, I saw some of the games he picked last year and, and he, you know, he wasn't the same guy. So, you know, maybe, maybe that, you know, he, I know he had some, some type of procedure at the end of the year, you know, and again, you just don't know a lot of these guys, you know, they pitch through some difficult, I mean, we go, you, you mentioned Sandy Koufax earlier. I mean, his last year, the guy finished 29 games with a bad elbow. Oh my God. Was, and putting that liniment on, right? Putting that, that stuff on that, all that liniment, exactly all that right. stuff on his shoulder and everything. I mean, he, that's, he, he crippled himself the way he pitched. Uh, and, but you know what? Hey, there are, you, you are, there are expectations when you're a guy like Clayton Kershaw or Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer, you're expected to be able to do some stuff. And you know that like, and I thought one of the things about early in the year when, when, Clayton's pitching the perfect game. He, I'm sure he said to himself, look, I wanna, I'd like to stay out here, but I got a lot of games yet to go. I got 28 more starts yet. I'm not blowing myself out now for down the road because, you know, a no-hitter, even though a perfect game is great, but I need to get through this season. And I thought, 
you know, that's how those guys get ready. And I think last night, Max taking himself out of the game. Hey, look, I'm not missing my next start. Why would I push it tonight and miss my next two starts? And I, that's what those veterans do. We're talking with Terry Collins. So uh, people ask me all the time, how's Terry Collins doing? How's he doing? So uh, tell the folks, I know you're working on your golf game, which is very good, folks. He's a single-digit <laughs> handicap. I know that I know very, very. So his golf game is excellent. How, el- how else are things going? Well, Mike, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I, you know, I keep up with it a lot. I miss the game. I mean, I miss the competition side of the game, which, you know, that's why we all did it for all those years. Uh, but I thought hey, you had a wonderful I, career. You really did. You had a wonderful career. And you know what? You had a heck of a career. And in years, as people go back and look at it, you had a heck of a career with the Mets. You really did. Well, thank you. And I, you know, and I owe a lot of people, a lot of things. And certainly, you know, hey, look, you just, you know, you can't please everybody. And so when you walk in that locker room, there's going to be one or two guys that, you know, they don't like you and you don't like them. So, but you got to make it work and, and you got to be yourself because if you don't, players recognize it. If you come in and you're, you try to be somebody you're not, they see, they read it. And, and not, now you got a mess on your hands. So, and I'm an intense guy. I mean, you know, I was a little guy when I played and, and I used to say growing up, I had to play harder than anybody else in order to be able to stay on the field. So, and I, I kind of managed that way. You know, I, I demanded things. I demanded you to play the game right and hustle and do the things. I always said when, if someone ever, if a dad ever brought his son to watch one of my teams play, I wanted him to leave the stadium and say, that's how you're supposed to play. So uh, I was very blessed. I had great players and had a great time. And right now I look back and I don't, I hopefully don't have to apologize for anything. And you don't. I'm still involved. I, I still do some TV stuff and I love talking to you. I like, can't wait to see you and play some golf with you. Absolutely, Terry. Pleasure to talk to you as always. Uh, and we'll get together and play some golf. Absolutely. Thanks for a couple of minutes. Appreciate it. You bet, my good. Thank to you, talk Terry. To you. Take care, Terry Collins. Again, uh, who was an absolute joy when he was here. I mean, I'm telling you, you know, the, you get a scouting report, and never was a scouting report more off than on him. People said, "Oh, you know, the, the, all the gruff personalities." Nonsense. The best guy going. I mean, could not have been a better guy through the years. Uh, quick break, and we'll wrap things up after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Uh, thanks to Terry Collins. Now, a couple of thoughts as we head uh, towards Memorial Day. The Mets off last night's winner, 25-14. and 14. They have a very comfortable lead. But again, there's a note of caution. There's a feeling of just uneasiness. Now you have Scherzer joining DeGrom in the unknown. We don't know yet if Scherzer's injured, took himself out of the game, said he felt something in his side that he hadn't felt, and he wanted to be cautious, smart on his part, veteran pitchers, smart, no question about it. And the Mets are in a very good spot. They have a bigger lead in their division than the Yankees do, despite the Yankee-Gordy record. But they have a lot of issues. They're not scoring runs. They don't hit left-handed pitching. They have a lot of positions where they're not getting any offense. Now you're getting some breakdowns, both in injuries and efficiency in the starting rotation, which has been so good. You worry about the depth of the pen. So there's a lot of issues here with this Met team that give you an uneasiness despite the record, which gives you a high level of comfort. Accept the record, but just be cautious about what may lay ahead in the days to come as they hit the road. Now the Yankees. And I want to make this from a betting standpoint with baseball. 
I know a lot of you as big Yankee fans are just overjoyed that this team that was 7-6 and six has gone on a 21-3 and three surge. I mean, an unbelievable run to go to 28-9, and nine, to have a record that when you look, teams that start this way usually win the World Series, whether they're Yankee teams in the past or anybody. The, this is a start that is now in the rarefied airs of great starts. But if you are wagering on the Yankees, there's a very different tale to tell. Now, I, I know a lot of you fall into this trap, and I've warned you about this in the past, and here's the perfect illustration. All the Yankees do is keep winning, right? So you've just been putting down Yankees, let's go Yankees, betting the Yankees, except a lot of days when you look at the Yankee line, if Cole's on the mound, they're three-to-one favorites. If they're playing the Orioles like they have the last couple of nights, they're 260 to one. They're 280 to one. Or they're playing the Texas Rangers as they did earlier in May. They're 260 to one. They're 280 to one, three to one if Cole's pitching. And you're saying, ah, you know what? I'm going to lay the run. I'm going to lay the one and a half runs and only lay 110 or lay 120. I'm not laying just in case they lose. They'll score a lot of runs anyway. They'll win the game and I'll be happier anyway. Well, that has come back to bite you. And the reason it does is because teams win a lot of games by one run. They're not giving you anything. Guys who make odds don't give you anything. Nothing is for free, and you can get burned on this. And with the Yankees recently, you have gotten burned. The last two nights with the Orioles, you've gotten burned. The Yankees, if you laid one and a half the last two days, instead of them winning, you winning like they won, you lost. The Yankees beat the Orioles 3-2 to two. the night before they beat them 5-4. to four. You're laying a run and a half, you're a loser. You're a loser. Go back to May 8th and May 9th. When the Rangers pitched real well, couldn't hit. Yankees didn't hit either. Yankees won 2-1 on May 8th. They won one nothing on May 9th. You know what? You lay a run and a half. You're beaten all four of those times. Yankee W's, W-W-W-W. If you laid one and a half, which is the sucker play, Loser, 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 loser. Keep that in mind. One and a half is not a gift. We'll be back with Preakness uh, analysis on the next podcast with Brad Thomas. So get ready for that as the Preakness comes your way. We'll also have the uh, run for the Black Eyed Susans, the female version of the Triple Crown race. So we'll have that for you on the next podcast. Be looking for that. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.